Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Maverick Mondays. I'm your host, Maverick Peters. It is my intention to change your Mondays, to change your week, and to change your life. One episode, one Monday at a time, here on the Maverick Mondays podcast. I've had the incredible opportunity to sit down with some pretty fantastic people. The individuals who are successful at what they do or are extremely positive-minded in the way they live their daily lives, those are the people we will be hearing from on this show. Stay tuned for today's guest. Our guest today is Cleveland comedian Dina Mendlowitz. Dina is a mental health advocate. In college, she struggled with her mental health and came very close to suicide. She has since overcome her challenges, and with her newfound strength, she teaches, helps, and guides others by blogging and stand-up comedy. We have the privilege and honor to have Mrs. Dina Mendlowitz on the Maverick Mondays podcast. Hey, Dina, thank you so much for taking the time. Of course, my pleasure. It means so much to me. So tell me a little bit about yourself. All right. I um, am pretty much a lifelong Clevelander, um, a comedian and a preschool teacher and a mental health advocate and a mom to an awesome 12-year-old. So Cleveland born and raised. Yes. And you're a comedian. Yes. So tell me a little bit about your about your career as a comedian. Sure. So uh, I moved... I uh, lived away uh, in Illinois and Missouri when I was in college and a couple years after college. And when I moved back to Cleveland in 2002, there was a second city here at the time, um, So, um, which is known in Chicago as kind of the premier improv place. It's where Tina Fey and Stephen Colbert and a bunch of people trained. And there was one in Cleveland and I took a bunch of classes and um, I've been doing improv now for over 17 years and then. For the past few years, I've also been doing stand-up comedy, and I host a monthly show called Mental Illness and Friends, which is a live comedy mental health talk show uh, in hopes of destigmatizing mental illness and giving a place for people to talk about mental health. So is that what got you into the into the field of, of comedy? Comedy um, is something I've always loved. I was raised loving comedy, um, and so, no, I first did comedy, and then after I got really into it and really into doing improv and started creating, I first started creating a charity show and a bunch of different shows. I do a storytelling show called This Improvised Life where people tell true stories and we do improv based on it. And then um, I live with um, mental illness myself with um, depression, anxiety and something called suicidal ideation, which means um, thinking about suicide, even if it's something that's not going to happen. It's just a thought process. I wanted to create something where other people who were living with mental illness um, could talk about it and we could also use humor. So mental illness is something that seems to really be growing in today's generation. What advice would you have for someone, you know, uh, with the battles and the struggles you may have faced mm-hmm. in the past from everything you've learned and from everything, from all the awareness you've spread, what advice would you have for someone who may be struggling? So I think um uh, a couple things. I think mental illness, I don't know if it's growing. I think our, our talking about it grows. So that always makes something, makes something seem like it's more out there. I also think, um, that we are less connected than we ever have before. Um, 
the first way I started sharing was honestly through a blog and through social media, and it's been really helpful and it's important, but nothing replaces connecting with people and actual face-to-face and talking and being with people. And um, the biggest thing, honestly, that has helped me is helping other people. I think it's the one task you can do in life that is never, ever going to make you feel worse. So if you're not feeling well, it might not take everything away, but it's always going to provide something for someone else. And it's never going to make something feel worse, which is a win in a way to me. Who do you look up to in uh, in comedy? Do you have any role models, anyone? Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of Maria Bamford, who actually, um, she's been on Arrested Development and a bunch of TV shows and has a bunch of stand-up specials. But she really is someone who also, who started doing stand-up and really talked about her mental health struggles and her stand-up. Um, I'm a big fan of Hannah Gatsby, who released a special last year called Nanette on Netflix that really kind of turned comedy on its head a little bit. And, um, I, I grew up, um, loving like stuff like Alan Sherman's music and parody and that sort of stuff. George Carlin, um, Mitch Hedberg. Um, I, I really like Ali Wong right now, Roy Wood Jr., Leslie Jones, a lot of different people. Do you have any long-term goals? Um, Yes. I mean, uh, comedy wise or just in, I mean, in for, for comedy wise, I've really enjoyed doing a lot of stand up recently and it's always, how can I talk about stuff that's not, not being talked about and that makes other people feel less alone. So in an ideal world, uh, I would go to, uh, schools and colleges and continue to talk about mental health using stand up. So what's an example of a topic that you would talk about and, you know, make light of uh, Mm -hmm. in that kind of setting? So, yeah, to me, like anything, almost anything can be joked about as long as it's from the right point of view of are we trying to shed light or um, are you just trying to punch down and go for an easy laugh? So with shedding light, I think a lot of people, we don't talk enough about suicidal thoughts and that they're prevalent in people and how can we use humor um, to talk more about that stuff? How can we um, use humor in general just to talk about um, mental health and what people go through? Um, And that's what a lot of what I do is. And this idea of the more we talk about something, the less scary it is and the more permission we have to actually, you know, suicide numbers are going up and up and up even though we supposedly know more, but we're still not talking about it as much before it happens. We're waiting till after a suicide happens to discuss it. So um, if, okay, so what would change if we would talk about it before? Do you think it would decrease the numbers? I think if people who are experiencing suicidal thoughts knew that they could talk about it way more than we are, that that decreases numbers without a doubt. And I think um, in an ideal world to me, just like how we go into schools and we prepare kids for so many other things, how are, how are we, we letting children know that it's okay? You know, we talk about depression, we talk about mental health, but suicide rates are the highest rising in youth. And so what happens when we tell kids suicidal thoughts don't mean you're suicidal, they mean part of your brain is struggling. And there's, um, years ago when I was struggling, there was, I mean, this was like in early 2000, it was, you know, the internet was still pretty young and I found this page and it had these words that 
suicide is not chosen. It happens when resources, um, when pain exceeds resources for coping with pain. So um, to me, the biggest thing we can do is how do we front load people with as many resources as possible? So how do we say, this isn't something unspeakable. This is something we could talk about and that has to drop numbers. So they say laughter is the best medicine. Mm -hmm. Do you find that as well? Um, I find that um, openness is the best medicine. Um, Honesty is the best medicine and that laughter is um, this beautiful thing that gives us a way to be open and honest. So it's basically like, you know, what opens the door. So with laughter and humor, we can say something's less scary and then we can get to what we really want to talk about. Sure. So I don't, I don't want to want to dig too deep or anything, but when you start first started out in comedy, Uh I mean, when someone starts out in Uh any endeavor, it can be, there can be a ton of challenges and it can be hard and there can be, you know, the haters Mm -hmm. who want to knock you down, but starting in the field of comedy, battling Mm -hmm. depression and anxiety must've added more challenge for you. So How did you overcome those battles? Yeah. So actually it was a coping mechanism. So for me, comedy was actually a gift to the mental health. So first of all, I started in improv, which is one of the most supportive forms of comedy. You're in a group, you're the, with improv, what we say is like, um, you know, you look good when you make your partner look good, when you make your scene partner, when you're making who you work with look good. So for me on the stage also, it was a chance to, be expressive and use emotion. And it has always been therapeutic for me. The only struggle with mental health and comedy has been when you have a show and you get the high from the show, like coming down from that sort of high, or if a show doesn't go well, I'm more likely to play it over in my head again and again and again. Um, and so it's working on those after effects, but in the moment it's amazing. So the high from the show is a very real thing. Yeah. Almost every celebrity experiences mm-hmm. that to some degree. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that? So for me, it's, it's still a struggle in some ways. And I have found um, I have to transition in some sort of way. I do a lot of shows where, you know, I wind up going out with people afterwards or hanging out with people afterwards. Um, when I get home, I find, um, you know, whether it's doing progressive muscle relaxation, uh, which is something I'm a fan of, or something to relax when I get home. And sometimes it's just a bit of a ride, like you're just sort of um, either too kind of hyped up to kind of, you know, go to bed or kind of wind down at first, or you kind of just crash. And so I think it's more just knowing that's going to happen. You can't always prevent it, but you're like, oh, this is a a wave I need to ride and this is going to happen. Can you remember a time when, you know, you were really feeling overwhelmed and you snapped yourself out of it? What brought you back to back to earth again it's almost always um action oriented and it might not um at any time we move our body we we change what's going on with us so it it might not take stuff away and a lot of times it doesn't take stuff away but it's going to reorient you um talking to somebody will reorient you um for me writing is a huge thing so so going and just saying this is what's in my head right now We'll do it. And sometimes it's saying, I don't know that there's anything that's going to snap me out of this moment. So I just have to know this moment's happening. Yeah. On our uh, on our third episode of the podcast, we had Sherry Goldberg on. Mm-hmm. So Sherry uh, is a mother of an autistic child, yeah. Noah, yeah. and she's the founder of the Cleveland chapter of 
Autism Speaks, she said that, you know, one of the most important things for her to do uh, is to stay active. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that's a similar thing. Yeah. And so, you know, you can always tell yourself, you know, you got to get out of it. You got to mm-hmm. snap yourself out of it. But that doesn't do anything until you actually do get up right. and do something. Right. And I, I mean, I think a big thing, um, there's a, a uh, I did a lot of dialectical behavior therapy and there's a principle in that called opposite action. And it's saying not letting your feeling guide you, but do the action and hopefully the feeling will follow. So this is what we naturally do in comedy. If I, if people waited till they weren't afraid to be on stage to go on stage, the majority of people would never set foot on stage. They go on stage and they realize it's okay. And so if I'm not doing well, I'm still going to get up and do everything in my day because for me, that's a way to, to say, I have control over this sort of thing and I'm not going to wait for a feeling to happen. I'm just going to go and do it anyway. Do you have a favorite bit? Um, you, said, I you, do. Said, you said a lot of it's improv. Yeah. So I do improv, uh, and then I do, do, I do stand up and in stand up, um, I, uh, talk a lot about, um, you know, different ways I've, you know, I think therapy in itself provides hours of entertainment and humor. And I try to talk to things that relate to people that way. I talk a lot about different ways that I found healing in non-traditional. And I talk about how going to hibachi has helped me actually, um, and try to convince people this idea that that hibachi is really a way to heal you from mental health. I'm and sure they love to hear that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Who, who doesn't right. uh, want to hear that? And this, um, you know, whole idea that even if you go to hibachi alone by yourself, the guy who's cooking there still has to make you the onion volcano. And when yeah. you don't feel worthy, you're still, everyone is worthy of an onion volcano. Right. And there's somebody who's going to make it for you, whether you're having the worst day possible and feeling awful about yourself. So just everyone should know they're worthy of an onion volcano. And, um, and uh, I I then have people repeat, I'm worthy of an onion volcano, which when you can get, you know, 20 people or 50 people or 100 people to just all say in unison, I am worthy of an onion volcano. It feels pretty good. Yeah, we should, uh, <laughs> we should have some t-shirts made. Yeah, up. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you think everyone should have a therapist? I heard someone one time say, maybe even on the show, mm-hmm. everyone has their own struggles and their own things that they're going through. Do you think everyone should have a therapist? I think there's almost a, for almost everybody, there is at least some point in their life where they need something they need to work on. And I feel if you don't do the work, that becomes part of someone else's therapy hours. So (laughs) if I'm working with a coworker and she has stuff she needs to work on and she's not doing it and it's coming out in the workplace, then I have to go take that into my stuff. So I feel like it's a public service to, if you need to, and I think there are people who can go their whole lives with never setting foot and be in a therapy office and be fine. And I really do. Um, And I think that there are other people who could use it. And if they don't, that's what winds up happening. You know, that could be a question that you could ask anyone, right? Mm -hmm. Do do you think you need a therapist? Do Mm -hmm. you think you need to go into therapy? I'm asking you because I feel like comedians and comedians in general have a perspective and have a take on everyday experiences that the average person doesn't doesn't have. Mm-hmm. As funny as it can be, some of the things that can go on between, you know, a patient and a therapist. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious to know, like, how you feel about that. Kind of leading into the next question here, what has changed since you started comedy? How have my personal perspectives or how has comedy changed? Yeah, and how, um, how has your personal perspectives changed? Um, yeah, I do think that um, it strengthened my ability to kind of go 
to the humor of a situation. I think the 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 comedy I enjoy and um, what a lot of comedy is rooted in is truth. And um, so I think sometimes I can get to the truth quicker than I used to be able to, because when you're using, when you're doing improv and you're watching stuff on stage and you're trying to figure out when you're supposed to go out, you're saying, what's true about this? What do I want to highlight? And I think I ask myself those own questions, hopefully off stage too, when I'm struggling, what is true about this struggle and what's not. And when stuff is really bad, I can't always ask that question, but it's knowing that, you know, I think when stuff is awful, it's sometimes hard to use the resources we have. And that's why we try to build them up when stuff is less awful. So we get more practice like anything else of using those resources. So how, uh, how often do you perform? I currently have two shows that are monthly shows. Um, and then I do a bunch of other things. So I think in August, I actually tend to do less stuff in Cleveland in the summer because I have a healthy respect for patio season and that it's limited in Cleveland. And Cleveland people are it's about, really... It's about a week. Right, exactly. And Clevelanders are amazing in the fact that they will come out to a show with four inches of snow. They will drive. You don't have to worry. Other cities, a flake falls. People don't come out. But Cleveland in summer, they're like, I don't want to make people come into the bar, you know, a bar or basement when they could be sitting outside. But then I... So I didn't schedule as much. And then I wound up, you know, I probably performed you know, eight or 10 times in, in August, which was great. So yeah. it's a perfect amount for me. Do you have a favorite venue? In Cleveland, I do I do a lot of stuff at May Halls, which I really like because they have both a main stage and an attic stage. I like spaces that are, are dedicated spaces. We do this improvised life at Happy Dog and they have a basement space underneath. And because I, I want to perform for, for people who are at the show. So when you're starting out, you do a lot of what's called like bar prov or open mic stuff where people were coming and they didn't know a comedy show is going to be there and they want to talk and they should be able to, to their friends. They, it's like, you're almost like, you know, um, sicking yourself on them. Like, we're just gonna, we're just going to do the show here. So I'm really about having a dedicated space, especially when you're doing a show about mental health and people are being vulnerable. I don't want them to feel like they have to ask for permission to speak. I want them to know they're in a room with people who chose to see a show about mental health comedy that night. Have you seen any success? Have any of your your bits or any of your, your skits or um, anyone you've reached out to, have you seen any success that has helped them? Yeah. So I do. I think I started writing about stuff in a humorous way and did a one woman show where I wrote it and somebody else actually performed in it. Um, they, they played me. And um, that was in 2013 and then I've been doing comedy since and, and the mental health comedy and um, a lot of people come up and either it's made, they sometimes bring, a f there's someone who lives with mental health issues and they bring a family member to the show and the family member gets it better or they feel more permission to talk about it openly or they, you know, feel they, they help someone else get the help they need. So in any way, it's it's a win that, that it affects anybody. And sometimes it's just to better understand it. They know people in their own lives living with mental health issues and they say, I didn't really get what the struggle was like and, and now I get it better. And so that's what it's about. And how does that make you feel when people come up to you afterward? I mean, it, it, it keeps you going and it reminds you because there's also, you know, there, there have been negative things from sharing. And those are, I think, because when we don't know enough about something, um, people get scared of it. And so you worry, should I keep sharing? Should I do this? Does it, and the good 10,000 times outweighs any sort of moment that hasn't felt good. 
for yeah. sharing. You said uh, a one-woman show. Do you perform mm-hmm. with someone else? Oh, oh, so so the the one-woman show was like a play. So that's like where just the, the, she was playing myself, and that's just one person doing it. And um, then I came in at the end, sort of. Um, and that was kind of the precursor to Men and Little and Friends. But yeah, I perform improv. I perform um, with a troupe of like five or six other people and Mental Illness and Friends. Um, it's like um, a late night talk show setup. Sure. So I come and do an opening monologue like you would see on a talk show, but it's related to mental health somehow. And then I have two to three guests who um, share their own story. Sometimes they're stand up, sometimes they're musicians. Um, and they will either go to the mic and perform, um, or go to the mic and tell a story. And then I interview them on, uh, like, you know, sitting like you would at a late night talk show. And then we end that show with, um, improv kind of based on everything that happened that evening. I bring up some people and we just all do a, an improv Oh, set. that's great. So, yeah. What advice would you have for your younger self? I mean, it seems like right now you, you seem to be in a very healthy mm-hmm. state of mind. Yeah. Um, what advice would you have for your younger self? I think to create is always the biggest thing that I think that I thought I needed permission to do certain things. And one of the things I learned was like, because Cleveland is different, some other cities that we don't have a improv theater, I wound up putting up my own shows places. And that's what I always encourage people to do. Like if you want to do something, if you've taken an improv class and you're waiting for a team to invite you to audition, don't just create your own show, make it happen and um, invite people you want to play with and that that sort of stuff. So I, I would say to create, to connect and be a part of a community. And that's really... Uh, going back to, I guess, my opinion mm-hmm. on, on comedians, you know, how they have this outside perspective. Why do you think, you know, mental illness is so prevalent today? Why do you think it's growing? Why do you think the awareness should be spreading? Why do I think it's more talked about in comedians or why do I think it's just growing in general? Yeah, in general, sort of in, in 2019, yeah. it seems yeah, like there's I so mean, many people. I Like I say, I think I do think there is a part um, percentage-wise with um, just that when something is so much more talked about, it seems. But we do know that more people are getting diagnosed, more people are winding up in hospitals, and we know more people are attempting suicide and um, that and more people are dying by suicide. And I think um, we've, you know, there is a percentage of our world that is um, based so here in the moment. You know, um, I don't think, and I want to be very clear that I don't think in any way social media is the cause of suicide. I think a 2019 world where we kind of everything blows up big and then dies down um is it you sometimes forget the long game stuff kind of blows up quicker i also think we've not done a good job of talking openly about this stuff and i think um that people are needing more than ever to reach out to connect with people i think you're much you can go a whole day without seeing anyone. Now we have phones, we have texts, we have often not talking to people, this sort of thing I think is connecting. And I think the biggest thing is that we're not trying to address suicide by suicide attempt survivors. So for years, people who attempted suicide didn't talk about attempting suicide. So I couldn't say this is what I've learned because I'm somebody who's, who five days before my college graduation attempted to end my life. Um, and I got very lucky and survived. And 
that would be something we shouldn't talk about years ago. And we aren't asking suicide attempt survivors to be part of how we change um, what we do to help people who might be struggling. So if we're only leaving it to professionals and not those with lived experience, what are we going to do? You know, um, Right before your college graduation, uh-huh. can you tell me a little bit about that? Are you comfortable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am someone who there was a part of my brain that was um, hardwired about, um, like I'd never uh, before my college graduation really ever been in a therapy office, never had been diagnosed with anything. Um, and there was a part of my brain that always kind of had this default setting um, with suicidal thoughts. And I, I didn't know at all what to do with them. And um, I, you know, college, obviously ending college is a huge transition. And so um, these thoughts were getting, I can just say louder and louder. It felt more certain. It felt that that I needed to to do this. And I, when the biggest thing for me is it didn't feel like it was something I could say to anybody. Like it felt so, this isn't something you talk about this. And it felt because I was having these strong thoughts that they must be correct, that I should attempt to to end my life. And um, so without, and I was somebody who had a great deal of friends. I I wasn't doing comedy at this point, but humor was always like the funny person and having that sort of stuff. And there were people I probably could have gone and talked to, but I didn't seem possible. Like I wasn't going to call my parents. I wasn't going to tell a friend. And so I just, um, uh, uh, attempted to end my own life. And, um, when my attempt did not work, that's when I reached out to somebody and this was, I was in a college town. This was in 99. Um, they, I went to hospital. Um, my, my parents came up the next day. I left the hospital which now wouldn't be able to happen. There would probably have been like a 72 hour hold, but there was nothing. And they, I just went home and I then actually wound up moving um, to, to Missouri where I was supposed to move before all of this happened and started seeing a therapist and started working through things. Um, and um, have struggled several times since, and I've been in the hospital. Um, every time I've gone to the hospital since that time has been in my own choosing, which is something I think really matters for people to know. Um, and like mental hospitals are not joyful places. They're not a great place to be, but they're necessary. They keep us safe. And that in itself is beautiful. And I have, um, spent, uh, I had a Passover Seder in a mental hospital. Um, yeah. When I was in, I was at a place in Cincinnati and it was during Passover and there were three of us who were Jewish and seven who were not, who just wanted to be part of something that's communal. And there's a very big connection to the story of what is slavery and what is freedom, um, and uh, what is promised land and what is desert that connects really well with mental health and sort of journey. And we wound up having having a Seder there. I've, I've been, I've, you know, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, I've had a Mother's Day. I've, I've uh, it's in the last few years, it's been very, I was just in the hospital in March and that was the first time I had been in a hospital um, for a few years and that um, for three years. And um, I, and it was necessary then. And I think it's really important to talk about when that is necessary and taking care of all that. And, um, you know, I think because I didn't know it was okay to, because we don't know it's okay to have suicidal thoughts and talk about them, then we think we have to listen to those thoughts. So the more we could talk about them, maybe we prevent more people from attempting. 
you know, the theme of the show of Maverick Mondays is kind of to get that little jump start uh, mm-hmm. at the week and to hear from someone who's either successful or positive minded mm-hmm. or, um, or the like. Uh, what advice would you have for someone who on a Monday morning they wake up and they're just not enthused? They just don't have that motivation to go to work or to go to school mm-hmm. from everything you've learned mm-hmm. and from all the experience you've had and, you know, from this journey that you've clearly grown from. What, uh, what advice would you have for that kind of person? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's enthusiasm is not going to happen without connection and without doing that stuff. So um, I was working, I used to work, um, I was for a while, I've worked in social media for companies and that's been a huge part of what I've done. And then I started working as a preschool teacher and the connection I get every day with kids is part of what keeps me healthy and what keeps me going. It's priceless. And it is, it is. And on days, you know, that, I don't want to get up or maybe don't want to do what I have to do. You just do it on autopilot. If we, if we waited to only, do, it would be beautiful to be able to do only what we wanted to in life, but think how much we would miss out of. We think about this. I mean, even as kids, like, you know, I don't want to try this food. Oh, I wind up loving this food, you know, sort of thing. And is adults. And like I say, that stuff usually isn't going to make things worse. So sometimes getting up, taking a shower, moving, you're going to at least at the end of the day say, oh, I was able to do all this stuff even while I was struggling. So for me, that's been invaluable. Well, Dina, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, Do you have anything you want to add? How can people find you? Uh, Yeah, so you can um, find me if you follow Mental Illness and Friends on uh, Facebook um, or I have a site called FunnelCakesNotIncluded.com, which is a blog I wrote for um, about five years. And... um, Come out if you're in Cleveland and see live comedy in general. Comedy, uh, it's a way to be in a room full of people and have a huge amount of connection and laughter. And uh, so while there's great things on Netflix, uh, go see some stuff with some people. For sure. Dina, thank you so much. Sure. Here are some great takeaways from this episode. One, in Dina's mind, and in all the experiences that she's gone through, she feels that connecting with people and helping them with a real sense of sincerity will never make you feel worse about your situation. Two, sometimes when coming down from a quote unquote high, you need to know the low that follows it is just a wave that you need to ride out. Three, if you find yourself stuck in a rut, you're feeling down about whatever situation you're in, Try to bring yourself back to reality. Talk to someone, write about it, express yourself. In Dina's words, she said, don't let the feeling guide you. If people waited until they weren't afraid to be on stage, to go on stage, then the majority of people would never go on stage. Sometimes you gotta push yourself, take the action. Four, everyone is worthy of an onion volcano. No matter what kind of day you're having, no matter how worthless you may seem in your own eyes, you're always worthy of that onion volcano. And five, don't wait for opportunities to come knocking. Create your own opportunities and make them a success. Hey guys, thanks for listening. This was a real interesting episode of Maverick Mondays. But if you truly want to grow and become the best version of you, and yeah, I mean the best version of you, listen to the episode again, take some notes, review the lessons throughout the day, let them sink in. This is a great way to achieve success and forge a positive attitude the kind that will break us out of some of the most unmotivating Mondays. Thank you for joining us.